Hi, this is Brian Burkhart, the founder of Square Planet and the author of Stand for Something. And I got to tell you, I just spent some amazing time talking with Ryan about didgeridoos, panning for gold, where with an H, and all other things awesome when it comes to speaking and presenting. I sure hope you listen in. It's going to be great. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a very special world of speakers. And that is because we have spent the last 15 to 20 minutes making sure that my audio settings are correct so you know that we are here making every effort to be with you right now. And that is because I have Brian Burkhart on the line. And Brian is somebody who not only is a patient guy, but he is determined to see things through to the end. And he does that by making waves, not only just waves as in the ocean, but waves even in the desert. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you for your patience. I'm so excited to pick your brain about the over 50 countries you've been in, the six different ways you make money, one of them being speaking, and your insights into the world of speakers. Well, thank you. That is quite an intro. And you're making it out to be a horrible experience. And I will tell you that I was just sort of sitting along watching you flounder for a while, Ryan. So it was kind of fun for me, I will admit, in a weird, twisted, sick way. Yeah. And you know what? I tell people that no one cares about your story. They care about how they see themselves in your story. And you did see me fumble along, but I was like my own mission control talking you through the process. And I'm sure there's a time when you've fumbled through and you're just on the opposite end. You're just there to be able to be supportive. So it works. Absolutely. (laughs) I am there for you, brother. I got you. Awesome. Well, I'm going to take you being here for me and I'm going to use that to my full advantage because I'm going to throw you under the love bus and I'm going to ask you to be put on the spot to reach into your database of stories, things that have been in your life that you've experienced. And I want you to pull one off the shelf as though it is one wave that is in the middle of this ocean. What is that one wave that if you were to tell me that story, that story is something that I could share with somebody and they could really get a good idea of who you are as a person? Ooh, that's a great question. I think I have an answer for you though. Let me paint this picture for you. So first I am uh, the very perfect description of a middle-aged white guy with you know the belly and the whole situation working right but there was a time back in the day and i can remember this very very explicitly as if it was almost yesterday i can honestly remember the color temperature of the room the smell of the space it was something but i was running for student council president of oak ridge elementary which is a little school outside of chicago in the chicago suburbs i was in fifth grade my running mate was a, my best friend. His name is Jim Leonard. I actually was the best man at his wedding many years later. But Jim and I were thick as thieves, and I was going to be the president. He was going to be the VP. And this would be in our final year at the elementary school in sixth grade when we would actually hold office. But one very distinguishing feature about me specifically at that time, and really not all that unchanged today, was that I was short. I'm only 5'7 now, which is actually below the national average by just a touch. But back then, I was considerably smaller than most kids. And I can remember the two ladies that we ran against. And I won't 
protect i'll protect their identity uh, one was named kelly the other was named nia nia which was short for antonia and they went first they had these matching sort of red outfits on and it was our turn and the whole school was in what was really the lunchroom kind of had that stench of like bad spaghetti in the air and the bright yellow vapor mercury lights it was just sort of a awful setting but it was time for jim and i to do our thing and as i'm running for the top role of president. I was going to lead the speech. And I walk up to the lectern and I grab the gooseneck mic because our principal, his name is Mr. Winkler. That's the real name. Wow. He had just spoke to set up, you know, the next ones are Brian and Jim, come on up here in his kind of gruff way. And so he had left the mic way up high and I grabbed this thing. And you hear that kind of bendy screechy as I pull it all the way down, all the way down whole school laughs at my shortness. <laughs> and then right there, right then, I felt something that actually defined the rest of my life. And that was the first time in my life I really truly understood the power of amazing communications. The truth of the matter is, is that I did a heck of a job. I was very prepared and I had some natural instincts even at an early age and it went incredibly well. And while I was still at the lectern, I remember looking at Jim and he looked at me and we looked at the two other girls, Kelly and Nia, and we knew. And it was an absolute landslide. I think they got two votes themselves. <laughs> and so it was one of those kind of things where that moment, it was a very palpable thing. And I knew that I was never going to be just by size alone, a, a gifted athlete. I was always bright, but not the smartest kid in class. I had all these sort of general skills, but I had one that really distinguished me. And that was a really unique formative moment that led to so many different things and so many unique and different opportunities at really an early age, just because I had sort of a prowess and then an affinity to get even better, that it became something that has truly defined my life. So there you go. Fifth grade student council president, bam a lam. <laughs> I love that. What a great score to a story. And I think what I hear out of that, that a lot of people might relate to is that inciting incident, that one moment that things sort of change. And it can be in an elementary school setting even. And that your realization was that communication is this great equalizer. It, it makes you taller. It makes you stronger. It, it gets you to where you want to go. I had a similar but different moment, but it was more, <laughs> maybe a little more negative because I was bullied quite a bit with my freckles and, and my white bleach blonde hair and disappearing to Catalina each summer. And it was only until I took martial arts and I realized that the way that I was communicating without communicating was still communicating. And when I realized that I could set my shoulders back and stand a little bit taller and like communicate with my body, I was like, oh my gosh, it doesn't matter what I say. It's how I bring myself and how I present myself. And for me, that was just a defining moment that I could have copied every single word you said afterwards. And it's just you know, you have a great idea and an amazing idea. Whoever communicates it the best wins. That's it. And I just see it as the, the just the ultimate tool. So I love that. I'm glad to hear that you were able to find a way outside of the awfulness that is bullying. It's terrible in all of its forms. But kudos to you for having that realization that even your posture, just that mere way of holding yourself could make a difference. So good job. Yeah, no, I, I'm excited that I got through that. Uh, but you know, things tend to repeat themselves. So there's still bullying that happens in the real world when you're an adult. Sometimes your business partners bully and you don't know it. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's, 
I think communication is a way you can either talk or communicate your way out of it. I actually, you know, this is a big part of our world, right? Yeah, yeah. This is the stuff that I get to do every day. And, and I say something that will often get people's attention. I say that in corporate speak, especially in the corporate world, leaders have no choice. They have to communicate, whether it's through things like email, the written word, the spoken word, phone calls, you name it. If you are a leader, you have no choice but to communicate to the world around you. That said, it seems like in every business, those that have that natural ability to communicate well, very often become the leaders. It's this weird dual sort of multi-pronged approach where if you can do one, great. And it's really interesting, really, really interesting. Once people realize that communication is more than just how you put some words together, but how you actually can move people and lead, it can make a huge fundamental difference in their career. It's a big thing. Yeah, absolutely. And then you add on to that, that communication isn't really what you're saying. It's how people are interpreting what you're saying. Exactly. That's a whole nother meta level where you can be an amazing communicator, but if you're fundamentally communicating in a way that doesn't make sense to someone else, <laughs> and there are people who in business speak do that, they will just speak as though they are speaking to someone who understands them. So it's, the communication rabbit hole goes deep, but I enjoy talking about it, right? <laughs> well, let's do that thing. I like it. Now, I have a question for you with communication. Do you believe that you are just as good communicating with yourself as you are with the outside world. And, and I ask this because one of the things that I hear from upcoming speakers or people who want to do more public speaking is that, sure, they might have the physical tactical skills, which we're going to get into your advice on that a little bit, but for them to be able to communicate with themselves, either to believe in themselves or to give them the permission to get out there. How are you with like being aware and your emotional intelligence and, and keeping yourself positive and, and when things aren't going right and when you're fumbling, I'm always curious about that. But I think I'd love to get your insight on your internal communication. I have two thoughts around that, Ryan. And the first one I would tell you is that when I coach people to be amazing presenters, and it's a variety of people that I've worked with of really, really, really amazing level at this point, the first thing that I do, the number one thing that I start with is something that always catches them off guard. And that is I send them a gratitude journal. And it looks just like a little binder, almost like a moleskin kind of a thing. Yeah. But it's, it's specifically printed on and inside about doing sort of a daily, almost like a journaling exercise about the things that you're grateful. And just, you know, for way of example today, I remember in, in mine, I wrote down that I was grateful for my Sonicare toothbrush. I mean, so, <laughs> right. I mean, it doesn't have to be the things that I'm grateful for democracy. Well, sure. But I'm also grateful for things like contact lenses, really. And what's interesting is that when I start getting people down this path of gratitude, they start realizing in a very different sort of way that there's an energy that they can bring to their presentation. If they look at it as a really, truly unique, amazing opportunity, like this podcast, it is not every day that I get to speak to you for a chunk of time. Yeah. And so I can look at this on my calendar as a task of oh man, I got to take 45 minutes and talk to Ryan and do a podcast that may or not be listened to. Or I can have this overwhelming energy of gratitude, this incredible grace and go into it and realize it's an incredible opportunity. So one is task oriented. The other comes from a really cool gratitude place and you see it as an opportunity. And so that internal dialogue is very real. I can tell you that before any opportunity that I get to stand in front of people and do my thing, 
I very much go through a mental exercise of, wow, be grateful that these people, and sometimes it's thousands, are going to be in a room for up to 60 minutes or longer to listen to what I have to say. They are making a conscious choice to be there with me, to listen to the words and ideas that I have. That is something. And if you look at that in that sort of energy of gratitude, man, it can change everything. Well, I am grateful that I asked that question because it's super insightful. And I think so much focus is put on you know how we're communicating outside. But just the simple value of communicating internally, I think I think you really laid it out there. And I like this idea of a gratitude journal. And the nice thing is you can probably turn any of these number of notebooks that you have stacked around that people have given you for free <laughs> that you, they could turn into a gratitude notebook. Yeah, it really, the thing that I send to people, it, it by no means is the only way. Believe me, a, a piece of scrap paper, just start right. yeah. noticing and reminding yourself of all the amazing things in all of our worlds. I mean, believe me, we all have a very long way to fall to hit rock bottom. And so it's truly one of those kind of things where the littlest thing can put you in the right mental state. No, I think that's amazing. Okay, so we know that at least in elementary school, you were short, but it didn't hold you back from being tall. I think humor is a big part of who you are because you took that initial, you got people to laugh and you realize (laughs) that if you get people to laugh, you get them to learn. So I I imagine there's a a slight hint of self-deprecation that you're not afraid of doing, which I think is a strength. Humor is an interesting thing when it comes, especially in corporate presentations. I teach this a lot, that humor can often do more to you than for you. And so I always say that if you are a funny person, and you know if you are, lean into it. And if you're not, then don't, because more often than not, bad things will happen. And so the kind of humor that I bring to the party is often in some well-conceived stories and some examples. I show a lot of things that are very much humorous. I like to get people to laugh and to think but I realize that my kind of humor is I'm kind of a smartass. I'm kind of a bit of a, a pain. It's often in a good way, but I know it. And so I try to stay away from the trouble areas and zoom into the things that are going to work well for me. But having that self-awareness is mission critical when it comes to humor. Yeah. And if you think about it, self-awareness is what you attained when the microphone was initially grabbed. Self-awareness about gratitude, self-awareness about how you present yourself about being aware of the gratitude of the opportunity. Like at the end of the day, I think that you are one of the most self-aware guys that I know at this point. So your EQ score is probably off the chizards. Well, it's interesting. I'm capable at uh, screwing up so many things. I make so many mistakes on such a regular basis. It's hard to believe as a business owner and as a guy who does a lot of different things, it's astounding to me how frequently I screw the pooch. But the one thing I know I do pretty well is have pretty good self-awareness. It's certainly been good for my marriage. I'll tell you that. Yeah, but that just comes back to communication at the end of the day. And that's what I'm hearing here is that to be a public speaker, to be a professional speaker, it's not just about the stage. And and because you're good at self-communication, because you're good at communicating with your wife, you're probably really good about processing and communicating emotions. You are losing things and messing up and making mistakes, which we all do. But it's that self-awareness that allows you to communicate with yourself. Sure. And then your awareness of that probably translates to the stage to where you're talking to these corporations and they are resonating not only with the message, but with how you are probably pretty transparent about how that message plays out, either in your life or these different stories or these funny situations that have the learning lessons. 
No doubt about it. I'll tell you, it's interesting because you sort of teased this at the very beginning. I've been very fortunate. I've been able to travel to lots of really cool, exciting, interesting places around the globe. And certainly one of my favorites is Australia. I've been there, I think, six times. Nice. And that instrument that's very aboriginal, it's called the didgeridoo. (laughs) Exactly that one, right? (laughs) I remember the probably the first time, I'm not sure it was, might have been the second or third, I really don't know, but early, one of my first visits there. And they have them in different spots, even right by the Opera House in Sydney. I mean, there's just guys there cranking away on their didgeridoo. It's pretty neat. And I kind of got interested. And so I started talking to one of the guys and he, he told me that the thing, the key, the way it works is what they call circular breathing. And so it's in one nostril and out of both nostrils, out their mouth in this constant circular motion. And that struck me, I don't even remember when, I was coaching someone about presentations and I thought, man, that's what we need. We need circular breathing, really circular thought. And so I am now to the point of when I'm on stage speaking, there is one half of my brain that is very much engaged with the audience, focused on my content. And yet there's another half in that same kind of circular pattern, thinking about things like, Do I have their full attention? Am I absolutely using the physical presence of the stage? Am I doing everything I can to keep up the engagement level and the contrast between words? And so I'm going through some of the coaching side of the equation while simultaneously going through the presentation itself. That circular notion has taken some time. That is not easy stuff. That's not 101 level. That's like 500 level. But for the presenters who are really, really able to do that, it makes all the difference. Just having that awareness is big, but certainly being able to do it on the regular, it's something. Wow. Okay. So you are the didgeridoo of speaking. That's it. Like, boom. That's so powerful. The, the, I'm now <laughs> going to change my website and all my promo material. Brian, <laughs> the human didgeridoo. <laughs> I love it. No, but people who listen to my podcast regularly, they, they realize that we come into these shows with no agenda. And I just ask a question of a story from your past and that sparks the first chunk of conversation. And this has been so fun to see where this went from you grabbing the microphone as a short person about to get elected to a public office, sort of, (laughs) to like 360 breathing with a didgeridoo. And it's a bit odd, but it really comes 360 full circle. So I'm actually getting a little uh, like little goosebumps on it because it's just that, that alone. Like every time I see a didgeridoo, I'm going to think about this. And I find myself on stage you know i was just in ghana and i was speaking and it's like being aware of the content but being aware of the performance and there is this like i don't know whether it's specifically left or right brain but it is a circular breathing all while speaking no doubt well this is a great transition into the speaking tips portion of this and that's i mean we kind of already were there so what would be the best pieces of advice that you wish you had to make your initial campaign speech in elementary school that much more effective. Now, we know that you already won, but where would you start with people? Or, I mean, I know you coach people. What are some of the things that you can share with people? They're just going to be like, oh, my God, that was amazing. These are, of course, huge questions. There's only a billion ways to answer. Only? Only a billion. I would tell you that I, this is, again, the stuff that I do on a very regular basis. And so this is what I do with my best clients is I tell them about a sort of this essential must-have. And it always comes around content first. And I'm specifically speaking around the business and corporate sort of life when it comes to presentations and speaking. So many people get this wrong. And it just, I'm kind of flummoxed about why, because it's actually fairly straightforward. 
The first thing that everyone needs to do is begin their presentation with a core belief. And it's the kind of thing where you and I talked about it, you said it in the open, and while we kind of make it as a bit of a joke or even just a tagline, when I say I make waves, so it's things like, Brian, what do you do for a living? I make waves. That's a core belief. That means every action that I take, everything that my team does, all the stuff that we do, it's about being just a little bit different than everybody else. We are not going to follow the well-worn path. We're going to make some waves. And how that actually comes together, the things that generate income for us, we'll get to that eventually. But every great presentation needs to begin with that really well-honed, easily codified, super simple, clearly stated core belief. After that, you have to answer three simple questions. And these simple questions are not easy. They come from Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates, the ancient Greeks, the biggest fans of communication theory that have ever existed because they wrote it. They talked about ethos, pathos, and logos, and that's a little difficult as we kind of look at today's day and age. If I said, Ryan, I need more pathos in your presentation, it just doesn't translate, right? (laughs) And so what those guys have that we can use today is answering three simple questions. What do you want the audience to know? That's with a K. What do you want them to feel? And then what do you want them to do? Know, feel, do. So if you can get that amazing, really clear core belief early, and then very succinctly and powerfully answer, no feel and do, you will be effective no matter what. Now, you may not get a, win a gold medal at the end for being the best orator of all time, but effectiveness will be all but guaranteed. The crazy part is for so many people that present, they don't answer those three questions. We'll often live in the category of no, with again, with a K. It's all the data and the detail. That's the easy part. But proactively making sure that there are a variety of emotional quotient elements built in, and then perhaps more importantly than anything, give people homework, give them something to do. And it could be as simple as get curious or look up a website or think. Those are all do's. But very typically, those two last things are left by chance. And so there's my number one tip and trick, core belief, KFD. Boom. If my microphone was not attached to my desk right now, I'd try to drop it, but that would really work against me right now. So that'd be in, in honor of you. I, like when somebody else drops their mic for you, then you know you're doing good. <laughs> All right, cool. I'll take it. I'll take a good mic. So I have a couple things I want to dig into here. One, I like how you said my best clients. I think that's an interesting sort of, again, pointing back to your awareness. We all have clients, but there are certain clients that maybe we mesh better with or that take the advice and intrigue and run with a little bit more. So I just want to give you kudos to being aware that your experience with clients has a variety and that you can drag a speaker to a stage, but you can't make them drink the Kool-Aid. And I, I just picked up on that. I thought, is that on purpose or is that a slip of the tongue? Do you always refer to your best clients as examples? Oh, no, not at all. I, my book, it's called Stand for Something. Um, goes into this at great detail. Okay. Uh, the reality is, is that there is this notion, especially for people like me who own their own businesses and generate our own income, that everyone could be a great potential target. Well, that's just a big lie. You don't have the skill set, the bandwidth, a, a variety of things. But more than anything, you don't have the same beliefs. And this is going to sound silly, but the idea is really to try to find people that believe what you believe, to work with those people. And I mean, even things like the kind of foods you eat, the music you listen to, your political leanings, you name it. And if you think about it from that perspective of political leanings, 
it's almost impossible to find someone on the left and someone on the right and say, find something to agree on. There is almost nothing that can be done to find that middle ground anymore. And so business is the same way. I have some clients that, I mean, no matter what we do, we can go over budget, we can be long and delayed, doesn't matter. As long as we believe the same things, we're good. Then I have other clients that I can give the best service, the biggest discount, the most amazing final product, and it just doesn't feel quite right. And so in those kind of situations, I like to jettison them. I'd like their barnacle. I'm going to scrape them off the side of the boat because we don't believe the same thing. So my best clients are ones that absolutely believe what I believe and vice versa. And what I think, what I believe is an interesting connection is that that's how you started your conversation, only to shortly talk about how the first and most important thing to speak about is your belief, which really ties that back into this idea that you're not for everyone. And the more you can narrow down who your ideal audience is, and get them to understand what they need to know, what they need to feel, what they need to do, that really ties a big... You know, this whole notion of beliefs, this is a very big deal. And I think about it from the standpoint of even things like, I I do this on stage all the time. I say things like, and I start always by my notion of making waves. That core belief is always how I begin every presentation. And at some point, whether it's later or in the middle, at some point I'll say, there's a big chunk of you right now that no, you do not want to work with me. You've already thought, oh no, the last thing I want to do is make waves. (laughs) But there's another chunk of you that are very intrigued. And yet at no point have I told you how. You don't even really know what. You certainly don't know my background or my team. And believe it or not, we haven't talked process, price, etc. But yet somehow, some way, just by sharing that core belief, that simple notion, you're intrigued. And you see people nodding up and down in a positive, affirmative fashion, like, yes. And so it it sounds insane, but the best brands, the ones that we all know, love, and trust, those companies do an amazing job of telling the world what they believe, what they stand for. The ones that are a little more, eh, they do a lousy job of telling it. And so it's a big deal. But the ones that are a bit more, eh, and maybe the speakers that are a bit more like general experts, you have less likelihood of landing harder with the right people. No doubt about it. All right, so we've got time for one more of the billion speaking tips and tricks. And I really love this, starting with a belief, getting people to know something a bit different and getting them to understand how to feel and do. What's one other, if you had like, all right, you have a a certain amount of time and the time's up. What's the final buzzer that you can help leave our listeners with today when it comes to the tactics of speaking? And again, I'm gonna stick with this world of business communicators. And so that asterisk is important here. I would tell people that the the rule that I like to beat with a big hard object over people's head from time to time is 75 seconds at the top. And what that really means is I want people to fully connect with their audience. And I don't care if it's an audience of two or 2,000. Before they ever click a single button and worry about a single slide, I want you to actually be a human being first. Far too many people think that presentation and slides are synonyms. They are not. You need not worry about visuals. They are the afterthought, the, oh, by the way, Ryan and I are having a great conversation right now. There's not a single slide present. (laughs) You need not have slides dominate. And so many people make that first, and that's wrong. And so I, I make this rule of I want you to come out and connect with the audience, talk, be a human, have a story, find a way to make that connection happen for 75 seconds before you're allowed to touch a clicker or any kind of device to put any image up on screen. 
I like that a lot. The book I just wrote is Ditch the Act. And on the back of it, the very top big letters says, be human. Yeah. And again, if you don't get that buy-in and you don't get them to see you as a person, you're missing that. But I love this concept of a 75-second sprint, a speaker sprint to show you're human. And I've got a few friends who do this. James Taylor comes to mind. He travels, speaks all around the world. I think that's a great check in the box for people to make. Absolutely. And you know, it's it goes to a very important, if not one of the most important points of connecting and, and presenting and, and speaking. And that's the notion that the best communicators have two C words that always emerge. And those two C words are conviction and connection, conviction and connection. And you can think about even this topic of speaking. It's pretty clear, I think, to people that would listen to you and I, Ryan, that we have conviction around this stuff. This matters deeply to us. It is our life's work. It is a big deal. Conviction is often easy. The connection part, however, is something that people think if I'm just in a really strong state of mind and I tell a great story, no, you got to be human to connect. Yeah. And so it's this notion of really finding communication excellence through both conviction and connection and knowing which side you might need to amp up. Some people may not have a whole lot of conviction around the topic, but they might be able to connect really well. Okay. Then you've got to spend some time to get closer and deeper into your content. That's the conviction side. And the one quick question to all of that is when you're talking about this connection, I'm going to assume that this connection is in the element of being human. It's not just sharing the good, but it's sharing the good, the bad and the ugly. And that, that, I just want to make sure that people know that being human doesn't mean like being the best version of yourself as a human, but it also means just being a bit vulnerable. And, and I'm curious if you agree with that as part of it, right? I couldn't agree more. In fact, okay. I always talk about showing off your ugly bits. Uh, it's one <laughs> of those things where you know we learn a, a lot of what not to do, right? And so it's one of those kind of things that by showcasing the flaws, the foibles, the, the things that we get wrong as human beings as business leaders, as just, you know, people, that's the stuff that really makes you amazing at connecting. I would tell you that that's probably as good of advice as anything we've talked about. Show your bits. Show your bits. Show your ugly bits. It's all good because we have all got ugly bits. Let's admit. No doubt. <laughs> all right. Well, let's transition to the business side of the speaking. You know, this is great. We're, we now have a couple extra tips and tricks. We understand the belief is important to lead with. We're not for everyone. But we've got a circular breathe into the didgeridoo so that people who hear the sounds that we make, even if they are odd, they resonate. And then sharing that we're human right out the gates as well. But how do you monetize that? How have you found success? And I know you make money in more than one way. And I also like that we're you know 30 minutes in this conversation and people might be like, what does this guy actually do? And, and I love yeah. I love that. Like, you know, for me, it's really about the problems that you're solving. And then, you know, you do a lot of stuff, I'm sure. But give us a little background on how you've turned your passion for communication into something that, you know, allows there to be a monetary component to it. I think there's a lot to this. And I might say a few things that perhaps could upset a few people. And, you know, I make waves, so that's just okay. <laughs> I would say that the thing that strikes me first and foremost, this is maybe eight, nine years ago at this point. I still lived in Chicago at the time. And I was really focused on jumping into this in a much more powerful, focused way. And so I decided to enroll in the National Speakers Association's Speaker U. And I can remember on the very first night, we get to the first break and I walked up to the instructor who was a really good guy. And I said to him, I said, please tell me that this gets better. Please tell me 
that the quality of the information as well as the people that this is going to get better. And he was sort of gobstruck by what I said. And he said, no, this is actually really good right now. We're, we're looking really solid. And I made a point to myself right there to basically say, I'm going to stick this thing out if for no other reason. So I know what not to do. And this is going to be bad, Ryan. Please don't come find me with pitchforks, people. But there are a lot of people who really want to make this a big part of their career. Well, I really want to play quarterback for the Chicago Bears, but it's not going to happen. I was struck at this NSA thing by how many people are really not great. And while you may want it, and you may have the ability to eventually get there, to command real dough, you got to be something. And it's just not for everybody. And it's not just the ability to stand and deliver, but it's really to have that great content that moves people, that has something that people find value in. And having that awareness, first and foremost, I think will serve people really well so they're not down some rabbit hole of chasing a career path that may not be there. So that's one. And I know that sounds terrible. And so I'll try to make it seem less off. No, no, but I agree with you. And I think that sometimes the information that we don't want to hear is the best information for us to hear. So I, I appreciate you in making sure that people know whether or not speaking, they, they would be a best client when it comes to speaking. Right. And I mean, I'll give you some examples. I've had I've had 10 teams that I prepped for Shark Tank. And there were a couple of them. It was slam dunk. They're going to get a deal. No doubt about it. I had a woman. She was great. Really, really great lady. And I said to her, there is not a chance that you get a deal. You're going to be laughed off the stage. And she was just shocked by the notion that I would throw out there like that. And of course, that's exactly what happened. And it was one of those kind of things where just having some hubris and some humility and some self-awareness about where you're at is a really good thing for tempering expectations. That's not to say you can't get there. People have all kinds of abilities to grow. I don't want to diminish anyone's light at all. But to know where you're at at any given moment, that's a really good thing. No doubt about it. All right. So I'm famous for making up words on the spot here. So I just have a new word for you. And it's actually a word that you used, but it's a different type of spelling. So we spell self-awareness, S-E-L-F, and then A-W-A-R-E-N-E-S-S or whatever it is, right? But you talked about where you are. And so it's like self-awareness, but throw an H in there. So it's self-awareness. Hello. I like it, right? <laughs> and it's like, are, are you self-aware? No, no, no. Are you self-aware? Like with an H. So do you know where you're at? You will be laughed off the stage. And if you know that, that's cool. But like, let's just have a heads up. So there you go. Not only be self-aware, but be self Oh, a hair. <laughs> that is good. I dig that. I do. It is good. I like that. Okay, cool. Maybe that's your next book, or yeah. maybe that's the one we write together. Who knows? We're, we're fast friends. Now. Let's do it. I'm in. You got me. You had me in a while. Self awareness. <laughs> okay, well, I need to stop laughing and be aware that I'm having too much fun now. Let's get back to uh, we, we're now in a happy spot for those people who are self aware and they're questioning whether or not speaking is for them. This is a good feeling for you to have if you're like, oh my gosh. That might be me. It might be you. And that's okay. But what are some other things that when it comes to this world of getting real dough? I'll tell you, this is one of my favorite little equations when it comes to this world of getting dough. It's the one to 20. One to 20. I would say that for every one hour of paid speaking gigs, it takes 20 hours of mining. That's a lot of digging. And that's a lot of dirt to dig through. 
And I think that number goes down as you get more and more into it. But to begin in an earlier stage of really getting paid decent money to go speak, I'm going to stick with my one to 20 equation. Okay. So I, I want to dig into that a little bit because I like this analogy. A uh, good friend of mine, Michael Houlihan, he started with his amazing wife or partner, Bonnie Harvey. They started Barefoot Wines. And I, I just love their story. And one of the things he talks about is in the gold mine, in the gold rush, it wasn't really the gold diggers who made the money. It was who was selling the picks and the shovels. And I always come back to that. So this made me think here, to dive a little bit deeper, for every one hour of paid speaking, there's 20 hours of mining. So I'm thinking gold mining. What are your thoughts on the picks and axes that you have to buy in that mining process? You know, one was the speaker you that you went to. Somebody else might might buy the speaker program. Somebody else might do the coaching over here. But what are some of the picks and shovels that you've found to make that 20 hours more effective to lower that? Or do you use certain type of software? Is it a CRM? Or what are your picks and access for the mining? I would say number one, and this is certainly probably two because they go hand in hand, is you've got to have a ridiculously powerfully, completely professional, not made by your nephew who's 16. You got to have a banging website. And that even means a domain name. Like you can't be, I speak about stuff.com. It's got to be real. And then part of that website, you need a killer demo reel. It can't look like the last time you spoke was in 2004. You've got to have the look and feel of a contemporary, available, professional environment that is easily translated by simply hitting click and we see it happen right there. And it should live on something like YouTube. So we go, yeah, this person knows a thing or two. They're normal. Those two things, website and video, number one. By far, that's the biggest pick, shovel, pan, you name it, website, (laughs) by far. Yeah. Actually, I think it's the pan, to be honest. It's the pan because that's that's sort of what holds it, right? And then you go out there. Okay, so the pan is the website. Let's say that the speaker reel that you can feel that's easily translated, would that be a shovel or a pick? I think it's the pick because you don't use the shovel until you have the pick, right? The pick is the sharp point. You just smash the rocks up, then you use a shovel to get what you've smashed up. That could be. And I'll tell you one thing that we're going to see what kind of metaphor you can come up with this one, because this is so real. Okay. So you had teased this, that I'd make money in six different ways. By far, the biggest thing that helps us generate income for my businesses is we produce events. And so I have this really unique role as a director producer, and then also as a guy who takes the stage. I see this from all sides. So one of the things that I have done to really set myself apart from others is I am the most flexible speaker known to man. I might be booked to do 60 minutes, but if the conference is running 22 minutes behind, I'm going to do, what is it, 46 <laughs> I can't do the math. I mean, it's, it's you know. If, yeah, we, know. we all didn't want to do the math, hoping that you would do the math, but you admitted. Exactly. You're human. I can't do the math. It's okay. I'm a communicator, not a mathematician. And so that, that thing <laughs> of things like where people say stuff like, uh, we really want you to use the uh, house computer and it's in PowerPoint. But I typically do mine and I'm in Keynote. Well, what I say is, great, PowerPoint it is. You want me to dance a little longer? You need to kill a little time? Great, I'm your guy. I'll go 68 minutes whatever it takes, because what that creates is a legion of stark raging fans. I have so many people that say, oh my goodness, Brian was unbelievable. He was the best presenter at the conference. He made such a huge difference. I loved working with him. Those things 
really all of a sudden affirm that you've got the chops. And so if it's a meeting planner or a CMO or a VP of sales or someone that's looking at a variety of people to choose to speak, if all of a sudden one has a bunch of people who are saying, this guy's the guy, that could be the thing that tips you. And so I'm of the belief that having that really engaging, easy to work with, I will fix problems attitude goes a long way. No prima donnas allowed. Awesome. And I have the analogy for it. And I'm curious what you think. This is this is actually a really weird sounding word, but it's real. And maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you haven't. It's called a Geiger counter. Oh, I still know a Geiger counter. It's like a, when you're, no like a nuclear reactor thing, right? Yeah. You know, it, it's, it, it's the guys on the beach with the headsets on that are like searching for stuff. Okay. But what it makes me think of is that you have this sonar self-awareness at the end of your hand or whatever, and you sense like, boop, 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 boop. there's an issue or there's a problem here or an opportunity. That's exactly where we're going to go. Like the other miners who don't have a Geiger counter are just, you know, look, I'm going to dig right here. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to dig until I find it. And you're like, no, there's gold and then there are hills. So one of these tools is to like find out where and being able to be agile. So how's that? Does that work? That's pretty good. And I I will tell you, this is very, very real. So the conferences that we work on, I mean, some of them have thousands of people. Think like every guest room and every ballroom at the Bellagio in Las Vegas is booked. These are big conferences we work on and we are in charge and we'll get all these different presenters coming and going. And there's always that handful of people that you wanted to say, dude, do you realize this is not all for you? It's actually about the audience because they come in at the 11th hour with all these requests and needs and they just make it harder on the conference organizers, not easier. Right. And it's the conference organizers. Those are the people writing the reviews. Those are the people helping get you pushed into the next, well, we've got another conference in three months. Bob was great then. He'd be great here now too. I mean, you got to remember that those people are so important. And if you don't have that Geiger counter working, you could really push things in a bad way. Dig yourself into a hole. How about that? You As a Bam. speaker. There it is, Ryan. Well done. Boom. Right into the mind. Yeah. Well, hey, I have my Geiger counter inspired by some guy I met who makes waves and, and is self-aware, not only starting with what he believes in, but focusing on the people who believe what he believes in to make sure that he can get them to know a little bit more than they might know after they talk with them, but making sure that they understand how to feel about it and giving them practical advice on what to do. So this has been a lot of fun, Brian, and I'm really excited that we had a chance and I'm grateful that we got to, not only for us, like selfishly, this is just you and me, (laughs) but think of all the people that also were involved in the conversation. So I'm grateful for, for them as well. Well, I hope it uh, helps in any way possible. If I could do a shameless plug, if you want to know any more about me, check out my main company's website, which is Square Planet. Think Round Earth, squareplanet.com, or you can check out my book on Amazon. It's Brian Burkhart's Stand for Something, The Power of Building a Brand People Authentically Love. Number one bestseller on Amazon in five categories. Dang. And what's your? What, are you on social? And if so, what is your 
favorite platform for people to engage with you on? I am really bad at social. Uh, I have a, a group <laughs> of people who are far better that help in all kinds of ways. And we do lots of things in both Instagram, Facebook. I actually like Twitter a little bit. I just don't do it very regularly. But it's all basically under Square Planet or Brian Burkhart. And I'm not great. LinkedIn is easily my best one. I go to LinkedIn every day. Everything else, eh, not so much. All right. Well, there you have it. Connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Grab his book. I'm going to do that right now. Make sure that you are self-aware. And remember, the aware is W-H-E-R-E, where you are. Be aware of where you're at. And don't dig yourself into a hole. <laughs> There's so many word plays that we could have on this. We need yeah. 10 more minutes to yeah. do word stuff. We're just going to transcribe this, and this will be the book that, that we co-create. <laughs> That's a pretty good idea. Ryan and Brian, we're here. Yep. I get confused for you enough. Uh, Hi, I'm Ryan. Oh, nice to meet you, Brian. No, 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 Ryan. Oh. (laughs) But hey, I would not mind being confused with you based on the short amount of time that I've gotten to know you. And are you making jokes, Ryan? Is that what that was right there? Oh, no. Sorry. Oh, I see what you did there. I passed it. I moved on. We are ending with where we start. But I'm excited to have this be the first dot in a series of dots. And uh, maybe someday we will share the stage. Who knows? That would be a blast. I look forward to it. But until that day, let's get on with our day. Everybody, thanks for hanging out. Make sure to connect with Brian. Brian, great stuff, buddy, and, and we will talk to you later. Thank you so very much, Ryan. I do appreciate it. Adios, everybody. <laughs>